0: Welcome to A Reason for Hope. <laughs> almost it's easy to for you to say. <laughs> <laughs> pause, panic, pause, but, button, button, button. <laughs> uh, my name is Adrian. I'm uh, filling in here for Pastor Dave Robson, who's out of country with his family. And so this is A Reason for Hope. And I'm excited to be here in studio with our pastors here, uh, Pastor Sean Richards and Scott Richards. How are you two doing today?
1: Fantastic. Can't wait to dive into our questions. So
0: Yeah, let's... Yeah let's get right into it then um, uh, there are multiple ways that you can chime in um, this is a weekday Bible answer program so we live stream to multiple social media platforms in which you can engage with us and I'd encourage you to uh, you know, follow along you can follow us on Facebook go to facebook.com and uh, go to our page at CCF Tucson and simply join the live stream and leave a comment in the form of a question in the comment section and we will uh, monitor those throughout the program You can also follow along on YouTube and of course if you do happen to catch us on these social media platforms we would really appreciate it if you would like share comment uh, subscribe hit that notification bell especially if you're on YouTube so we can grow our audience so we can reach as many people with the hope that we have in Christ our YouTube handle is at a reason or at a reason for hope 546 so you just go to youtube.com forward slash at a reason for hope 546 we're archiving our program on Rumble, so if you missed a program and eh, would want to avoid YouTube or don't have a Facebook account, feel free to you know, hop, hop on over to Rumble, and you can watch our program after the fact. We have them uh, labeled by the three top questions during each episode, and we would really love it if you would follow us. If you happen to go to Rumble, we'd really appreciate that if you don't want to watch this program on any social media platforms but do want to watch it, do want to ask questions, do want to engage uh... just go to our website that's calvarychristianfellowship.com go to the watch live tab and there'll be a nifty little chat box as you watch the program you can leave your question in the chat box there's also a little button for making prayer requests so if you would just prefer to not be involved in a a social media platform then we live stream not just this program but all our services so anytime from wherever you are you go to our website hit that watch live you can watch everything we do here uh, from our our home church here in Tucson Arizona and uh, that would be uh, really great if you could join us if you're not in Tucson if you are then uh, you know come visit with us too Finally, we have an app that you can download from the iTunes and Google Play Store. If you want to, again, watch our live services, this program, A Reason for Hope, uh, it has a nice little digital Bible. You can join and create chat groups. It has all our events calendar as well as um, everything you would need in an app and engaging with your local church community. So if you are involved with us and would like to uh, download that, you can do so. We can also add uh, our services, our live streams to If you have an Amazon Fire product or a Roku device, you can add our channel to your channel list. And you can watch our services that way as well. Finally, if you want to ask questions, but don't want to have (laughs) everything out in the interwebs as far as social media is concerned, then you can do so by just emailing us directly at questionsforhope at gmail.com. For those of you listening in on the radio, that's Questions for Hope, all spelled out with letters, no numbers, at gmail.com. One last thing, please follow our senior pastor on Twitter. You can do so at Scott R4H. That's at Scott R4H. And if you do have a question, uh, feel free to tweet it out. That way others can see it, and uh, we do monitor that throughout the program as well.
1: Having said all that...
0: (laughs) Sean, would you take a moment to pray for our time today?
2: Thank you Thank you that we have the chance to be here. Thank you that we can not only come before you, but request something so incredible from you as your spirit. Allow him to glorify your name and to use my father and I to communicate your word in spirit and in truth. We ask that those who are listening be blessed and that you'd be honored. We pray this in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, um, well, Sean, would you want to explain, or do you want to just get into the first question, or do you want to explain why we're... uh, Going to deal with this question. First, or do you want to do the yeah, uh, prophecy, prophecy update,
1: update first? Yeah, um, we try to provide as uh, fair and balanced, if you want to use that uh, long, uh, outdated term, uh, view of uh, things that are happening in Israel. We try to uh, present things that are positive and certainly prophetic, but also some things that are concerning. Uh, article in Jerusalem Post today that said uh, far right Lahava activists and Israeli police clashed at a Christian event in Jerusalem. Dozens of Orthodox Jews attempted to interrupt the event and rioted, with one of them being arrested for allegedly attacking a policeman. Now, what was going on there? What was this Christian event? Well, uh, there was a Christian concert that was put on, and apparently uh, these activists, uh, these ultra-Orthodox activists, accompanied by Jerusalem Deputy Mayor Arya King, and uh, founder of this activist group, uh Gopstein, uh, led an uh, attempt to uh, disrupt a Christian concert that was put on by the Association for Messianic Jews. Uh, the Lahava group uh, called for a protest. Uh, in fact, uh, they found the concert's invitation quite offensive. It stated, we invite you to an unforgettable experience and we lift up our voice with one voice and praise uh, the uh, let me see here, my computer skipped here. With one voice in praise and worship of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the glory of God the Father, uh, the uh, uh, the uh, protest group issued a statement saying, "Throughout history, uh, the mission hunted Jewish souls and fought against the people of Israel. The missionary conference was designed to convert Jews from their religion, and therefore has no place in Jerusalem. In a democracy, I must come and demonstrate." Uh, there was another similar protest that took place back in March 28th uh, at a Christian event at the Davidson Center near the, uh, what we would know as the Western Wall. Uh, so dozens of Israelis, mainly Orthodox Jews, demonstrated against a group of Christians who the pro- protesters said belonged to a missionary organization. Now one of the questions that gets raised in all of this is uh, the whole idea of conversion. Uh, is it wrong, say for instance, for uh, Christians to share the good news of Jesus Christ with Jews, or is that uh, just off the top culturally offensive? Well, I think if you're on the woke side of things, it certainly is. Uh, The idea that uh, you would talk to people uh, in Israel uh, about the claims of Christ would just be patently offensive and a no-brainer, but The problem is uh, in Acts chapter one and verse eight, Jesus marching orders to the church between now and the time that he returned uh, was this, uh, you shall receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the innermost parts of the earth. Interesting in this protest, this protest uh, was not uh, kicked off by say a group of uh, Gentiles from Ohio uh, coming in and handing out tracts uh, outside the, the Western wall. Uh, this was a protest against uh, the Association for Messianic Jews, which is a uh, Israeli-based organization uh, that ministers to the needs of uh, Jewish people and uh, provides support and fellowship for those who acknowledge uh, Yeshua as their Messiah. I think it's very interesting that groups like LaHava are uh, reacting so strongly to all of this. Uh, it, it kind of coincides with a huge wave of violence against Christians in sub-Saharan Africa. And and this is what I mean by this. It was around uh, 15 years ago or so, but a uh, prominent Egyptian imam uh, went on Egyptian television and shared the statistic that in sub-Saharan Africa, over 600 Muslims were converting to Christianity almost every day. Uh, And uh, he said, if this happens, then Islam is doomed. We need to do something about it. Well, lo and behold, what do they do about it? Groups like Boko Haram and others like this in sub-Saharan Africa uh, have uh, uh, emerged and done their thing. Uh, You know, it's kind of one of those situations where if you can't uh, win a debate in the marketplace of ideas, you know, the old saying kind of gets reversed, if you can't join them, beat them. Uh, And, uh, you know, much like uh, not being able to resist the wisdom or the power in which Stephen spoke, uh, the people from the synagogue of the freemen ginned up uh, charges against him. Uh, We read in Acts chapter 8, and uh, he had the opportunity to be able to share the the gospel there. Uh, He so enraged them by proclaiming that Jesus was the Messiah that uh, they stoned him to death in the famous uh, scene uh, where he saw heavens open and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and saying, uh, don't don't charge them with this sin. Uh, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit and all. So, you know, I think we see a a pattern here down through time. And really, in a sense, I consider this an encouraging thing because um, Messianic Jews, like uh, our friend Joel Rosenberg, who is an Israeli citizen and lives in Jerusalem now, are evidently making some kind of an impact, otherwise you wouldn't have these kind of protests taking place. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the Jewish people are, are pretty good about ignoring what they consider fringe groups or people that don't have much traction. Uh, you never see, for instance, uh, Jewish groups protesting outside the Temple Mount Institute in Jerusalem. The Temple Mount Institute, uh, according to our good friend and tour guide, uh, Ronnie Simone, is considered kind of a fringe group. It's more something that uh, Christian tourists go through. Uh, the idea of them having the kind of clout or the kind of uh, influence to be able to carry off the idea of rebuilding the temple is considered almost like a non-starter by the average Jewish So you don't see too many people upset about that sort of thing. But when you start to see, uh, and uh, we are told that as a people group, as a percentage of a people group, more Jews are coming to faith in Jesus as the Messiah than almost any other people group on earth, you can see why this kind of reaction is taking place. So, uh, you know, again, pray uh, for uh, the Association for Messianic Jews, pray uh, for those who have given their lives uh, to Yeshua HaMashiach, as they would say in mm-hmm. Hebrew, in Israel. And uh, once again, I think uh, as far as a sign of the times is concerned, uh, the, the fact that we are seeing this sort of thing becoming an issue uh, tells me that, uh, well, things are starting to mm-hmm. uh, heat up mm-hmm. and uh, the times draw near.
0: Hasn't <clears throat> Judaism changed a lot since the first century? Because you would think that a, a Jewish person coming to Christ would be an embracing, not a, not a uh, uh, leaving their culture, but actually embracing their genuine Hebrew roots in terms of what the Judaic promise was, and, and so on. Um, what, do they perceive it as a, an affront to their culture? And well, uh,
1: <clears throat> well uh, not only do they, but uh, I remember being on the uh, program Religion on the Line that's hosted by Dennis Prager, and uh, it was around Christmas time, and uh, the Jews for Jesus uh, chapter in Los Angeles had taken out a full-page ad in the LA Times talking about the claims of uh, Yeshua to be the Messiah, and so on. And uh, someone called in and said, don't you think that really gets in, uh, offends people and the, ruins the holiday spirit by bringing up something like this? And I just sort of assumed that Dennis Prager, being a conservative uh, free speech pro-advocate, uh, uh, would say, well, you know, everybody's got a you know, marketplace of ideas and you know, I don't disagree with that. No, he was incensed. Uh, he was angry uh, mm. about that. And he declared that you could no more be a Jew for Jesus then you could have kosher pork. Wow. I will never forget that quote. And uh, that's how intense uh, these, these lines and divisions are drawn. Uh, if uh, you come from a conservative or especially an Orthodox uh, Jewish background and uh, convert to Christianity, they declare you legally dead. They have a wow. funeral for you because it's considered such an offense hmm. uh, against their culture. So it's not just the Orthodox, not just, uh, say, the, the conservative. It, it's almost like there is this ingrained idea in Judaism that you can, you know, and, and the question came up on the broadcast when, that I was on. Well, you know, can you be a Muslim and still identify as Jewish? Well, yeah, um, even though Islam has some pretty untoward things to say about Jews. Can you be a Buddhist? Can you be a Hindu? Yeah, but you cannot be a Jew for Jesus. And, you know, when I see that, I just go back to what the Apostle Paul talked about in Romans chapter 11, where he said that blindness, in part, has happened to the Jewish people until such time as the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. You know, the arguments that are put forward by even some of the uh, anti-Christian apologists uh, in uh, Judaism, uh, you know, you take a look at them, and they're just really not very substantial at all, you know, more fueled by heat than light, if you will. But it's something that the Bible said would be true. Now, Mm. it does appear that that's shifting and changing. And whenever I think you see a group like this getting pretty upset about uh, a particular event uh, or a particular outreach, it probably means, well, the old saying's true about, uh, you only catch flack when you're over the target. So Mm. um, really interesting things. We need to be praying for our Jewish friends who belong to (coughs) Jesus in Israel.
2: Yeah, and when it comes to the history behind it, obviously there's been mixed tension (laughs) between Jews and what we would call Christians today. But first, what everyone here needs to understand as far as their relationship with the Jews historically is that the entirety of the early church, in fact, it was controversial for there to be a non-Jewish person in the early church, were Jewish. In fact, the passage you cited, Romans chapter 11, starts by saying, "Is God cast off his people? Certainly not. I'm, I kind of missed that memo, if that's the case. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Yeah. I, I can yeah, show you my yeah, resume, my yeah. genealogy. So, and, and I've had somewhat, uh, like you said, heated conversations with people for just making a sculpture and them getting upset by that fact that mm-hmm. it would even be associated with Judaism. And you point out to them, well, Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. We have two copies of his genealogies tying him to Abraham and to David. Do, do you think he's not Jewish? And some will hand wave, some will admit it, but say, but he has nothing to do with Judaism. Well, okay, what do you mean by Judaism? Because First Temple Judaism, you can go as far back as you want. We don't have a lot of records of that unless you just count the Torah and the Old Testament. We can go to Second Temple Judaism with parts of the Talmud and the uh, Mishnah and so forth, but it's just commentaries on First Temple Judaism. It's not adding to anything apart from uh, pragmatism. So we go to post-Temple Judaism, and that's oftentimes what we're dealing with when we talk to non-Christian Hebrews to this day. And I'm careful to say Hebrews, by the way, because, and this is actually was explained to me by a Hebrew, uh, Jewish is specifically denoting the tribe of Judah. There are more than the tribe of Judah. So maybe just take a, some time to think through that. It might help. But in conversations with people with a Hebrew ethnicity and identity, you're talking about a people group that were scattered among all the nations, Mm -hmm. like their God told them they would, and were essentially outcast everywhere they went. And in cultures and societies where you either conform or you're cast out, they took a lot of flack, not just from Christians, not just from pagans, but from literally everybody, (laughs) everything and anyone in between. So when it comes to the kind of not necessarily hostility we do acknowledge there is spiritual blindness here there is something going on here that reason just can't explain but when you're talking to someone whose entire culture is founded on stubbornness on community that their survivability as an ethnic group and a culture was built on the idea that regardless of outside influences Mm. i know what i am that's handed down to them by their family Mm. and their family having very interesting interactions with people who maybe even named the name of Christ are going to adopt those kinds of mindsets. There's a lot of emotional baggage to Mm -hmm. get over. However, what we all need to remember is not only to pray for the Jewish people, but to have as much confidence in the Holy spirit to soften their hearts in his timing. And for us to be an asset to that process, not an obstacle he has to overcome. So remember that as they're going through these things, the first, Christians were seen to the Jewish community like we would see Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses today. They were a cult that was co-opting the name of our God and associated this with this disgraced rabbi. The more and more evidence that was presented to them, obviously, the results spoke for Mm. themselves. But time goes on and what do you see? You see the pogroms, you see the Holocaust, Mm. you see political manipulation, you see the raids that were performed on them in order to fund the Crusades, which, by the way, were atrocities, no mm-hmm. excuses for that. But when we look at all of this, and they look at all of this, one thing comes to mind, and that is those people are the problem. Y- again, you can answer the objections of saying Hitler was a Christian. Yeah, Hitler worshipped a Jew who said, love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you. It doesn't stick, but that's just the community they came up with. When you say, oh, well, the Orthodox Church, oh, well, the... Um, the uh, Hindus and so forth, the way that we've all been treated, they've basically just defaulted to being on their own. And just like in the age of the internet, where we're constantly inundated, no way comparing this, by the way, but constantly inundated with hostility for seemingly no reason, Mm. you can at least empathize and realize there's some barriers that are put up here and for good reason. So acknowledge that. Don't take it personally when conversations about Jesus are less than cordial, and understand that it's a battle that's won from the inside out, and you can be a Mm -hmm. part of it.
0: Well, hopefully the last 75 years of growing love and commitment and concern of the Western Evangelical Church towards the Jewish people of Israel, especially those who have migrated back to their homeland, will eventually change that attitude. It might take a lot longer than 75 years, but at least it's a start. Yeah, it is a start. Just be Hmm. the exception. (laughs) Uh, Sean, we got uh, a little notification from YouTube about our conversation yesterday concerning the topic of abortion, a uh, little warning, something about that. Talk uh, about <laughs> uh,
1: signs you're over the target. Yeah. You're nobody until YouTube has flagged you, right? Again. Yeah. Well,
2: all. Um, sense of grace here. Uh, We were informed that our discussion yesterday on the topic of abortion uh, required context as far as what abortion is, and they provided a Wikipedia article for clarification. So I figured that, uh, being the instigator that I am, is an opportunity for us to clarify what is the biblical view of abortion. Uh, Would you like to take the
1: scientific approach, and I'll take the biblical, or would you like to do the biblical? Um, either way, uh, when the subject of abortion comes up, uh, the, the, the basic approach that I take on this is that uh, it comes down to one question. Uh, and that question is this, when does life begin? Uh, there are those who will say, well, nobody knows when life begins and everybody's got a different opinion on the subject and they will cite this person and that. Uh, the, the problem with that is, is that scientifically there is no doubt about when human life begins. It begins at the moment of conception. No scientist worth his salt is going to tell you that a fertilized egg is an inanimate object. It is a being. It is a being with a certain genetic endowment, the same 46 chromosomes that you and I have. Uh, It is a being that is human. The only difference between you and me and a fertilized egg, the very first stage of human development is uh, time and nurture. That's it. Uh, everything that makes you you was there at that moment. Your hair color, your, your eye color, uh, your height, uh, your tendency to gain weight or be able to lose weight, all these uh, different things were all present at that very moment. So uh, when someone says we don't know when life begins, uh, actually, in fact, we do. Now, since we know when life begins, it only seems to stand to reason that uh, if our life began at that particular point the idea of uh, drawing an arbitrary line in terms of fetal development and saying prior to this point this was not a human being simply does not stand up under scientific or logical examination
2: yeah so if we're going to then just take the logic at face value. What are the facts on the table? Well, first let's start with something that even the secularist can agree with us on. When it comes to the scientific facts surrounding unborn children, and this might just be a bit of trivia for you, but when they say that's not a child that's a fetus, Adrian, can you help me out here? My Latin's a little rusty. What does fetus mean in Latin?
0: Uh, human? It
2: means baby. <laughs>
0: baby, sorry. Mm-hmm. Human Point baby. stance, but with that being said,
2: <laughs> When it comes to the claim that life begins at conception and that it is due to all the dignities therein, first of all, when we call... You haven't had this talk yet. You can talk to your parents later, but (laughs) the material from the man and the material from the woman come together, each bring with them 23 chromosomes that make up one zygote. That's the medical term for it. Now, everything that is within that single cell will begin to divide, and if unimpeded and if uninterrupted, it will continue to develop into what we observe as a human baby in the same way that if my growth and development is left unimpeded and uninterrupted, I will also grow to be at least somewhat resembling the man to my left. The difference between us and a zygote is literally the same difference between a child and an adult, and that is time and nurture. Now, obviously, there's a very unique environment for that zygote to develop properly, but the point still stands as far as what substantively, cellularly, and compositionally makes that up. No one would debate that. Also note...
1: scripturally how do we also justify this?
2: Well let let me finish the uh, secular perspective to appease the Wikipedia article and then we'll get into that. The second thing that we need to keep in mind is that biological development throughout the trimesters does not support the claim that humanity develops more than the same developments that take place between those two time periods. For example, the first trimester, uh, as far as the first moment of conception, when the first two cells divide within a zygote, it is now growing the same way that you and I are. Within the first two weeks, cells continue to divide into specific categories to produce organs and body parts. We don't see it changing into a whale or a chicken. Those organs and that development is and always will produce human features. The third week is that the zygote is now what's called a blastocyst and will remain where it is in the mother until birth the fourth week has the nervous system and the heart fully formed which are by the way the same two things we measure to determine whether or not a life has ended and by the way the two men here who have uh, observed their little ones in gestation if you will um, did you guys even know that you were pregnant by around the first month well i've never been pregnant (laughs) but <laughs> Well, the, the statement is saying you're observing your wife, yeah. and uh, within the first month, no. that's, that's when no. signs no. might begin I, to show if they're really paying attention.
0: I have a recording of a heartbeat at five weeks.
2: So, after the first month, before those things. Are we knew we were, we were, yeah. We because you were, we were paying real <clears> attention, right?
0: We were paying close attention, and we knew we were pregnant uh, within the first three to four weeks. And then by the fifth week, we had already scheduled an ultrasound and were able to see and record uh, our first son's uh, heartbeat yeah, at, little, f- at five weeks.
2: Yeah, little cow's blastocyst form, Because right?
0: we, we knew the conception date, so we knew he was exactly five weeks.
2: All right. Well, speaking of five weeks, at that time, heartbeat and circulatory system aren't created. They're fully functional within the baby. Also note, at the sixth week, the nose, mouth, ears are also developing, and the brain is growing. At the seventh week, arms and legs are beginning to form. At the eighth week, the baby can breathe and feel pain. Note that. At the ninth week, the baby's body is now developed to how it will look as a human and is only small at that point. At the tenth week, skin is now functional and fingernails begin to form. The eleventh week notes the baby can kick and hiccup with their diaphragm now intact. Much to the chagrin of the mother, I'm sure. At the 12th week, the baby now has reflexes and can respond to activity. That's probably when Adrian was uh, starting to teach him magic tricks, I'm sure. At the 13th week, the first trimester ends with all of the baby's organs fully functional and the gender confirmed. Now, at this point, about... I don't want to give out a percentage, but the overwhelming majority of abortion legislation or anti-abortion legislation, or as it's referred to in some social media circles, the violation of human rights, would allow an abortion at this point when the baby can feel pain, looks fully human, and is now functioning as a human and is just small. But going on to the second trimester, and I'll be brief about this so we can get to the Bible, but noting that the majority of protests against abortion restriction allow it at this time as well. Facial muscles begin to form. They're reacting to lights and sounds. Their muscles can function. Their joints and cartilage are fully functional. The skin is no longer translucent, and their nerves are all where they need to be. All five senses are intact at the 19th week, which if I'm doing my division and fractions, if we have on average around four weeks to a month, how many months of pregnancy does that put someone at 19? Help me out here. Maybe almost uh, five months.
0: Yeah, five. Close to that? Yep. Interesting.
2: Also note, the baby can digest and swallow at this point, and the baby begins sleeping, developing fat, and even growing hair. The third trimester is where modern abortion laws would also make this legal at this stage. The baby's growing, the bones are hardening, eye color forms, and mama gets big. I'll just say that. But upon the fourth trimester, this is again where the majority of legislation for abortion limitation is still allowing an abortion to take place. The baby's born. That's it. The only things that need to form at this point are the full closing of the skull, getting used to breathing air through crying, and of course the diet switches from fluid in the belly button to milk and eventually solid foods, and of course muscles begin to grow, but yeah. as you can see, even I'm still working on that.
0: A lot of the cartilage in the joints doesn't exist. It's just like jello, but the cartilage forms as the body begins to be used walk. Uh, we had a scare. We took uh, our firstborn to like one of those trampoline places. Yeah, That was, and they have an hour scheduled just for the littles. But there were big kids there, and he just ran. And at, you know, if you ever jumped on a trampoline, if you don't jump in sync with the other people, you get launched. And right. so he ran across a small one that some kid was, you know, four times his size, bouncing up and down he landed just as the kid was going down and it just pushed up on his leg and just <laughs> launched him into the air he we he could he was limping you know this is our first injury he's not even barely 11 uh, or 13 months old 14 cuz he started walking at 9 to 10 months so he was very very he's a big boy athletic yeah. <laughs> for, and uh, we took him to the urgent care and they said oh he's fine you don't need to x-ray he, he can't tear a ligament or anything because it's just jello in there anyway. He's got muscles, but the ligaments are still forming as they begin toughen. They toughen out over time. So and this is in the fifth trimester. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. all that
2: then being said, those are the facts on the table. And if we're going to argue this point, understand that within the first semester, if you're willing to just. Talk someone and walk someone through these ideas. The idea that an abortion is justified when they can feel pain, when they're aware of stimuli, when their brain's fully formed and their nervous system's fully intact. Most people, unless they've made up the mind, their minds for them before the conversation started, or at least since they last looked at their social media platforms, it's not going to end in any meaningful sense. They're just going to tune you out and they'll answer to God for what they say. But when it comes to fellow Christians, so follower of Christ, Allah follower of Christ, there are standards that we're held to that are more than just observation. We, as my father was saying, have a accountability to what God has revealed, and if we call ourselves followers of Christ, we should take seriously what He said. Right. And in Scripture, obviously, there weren't in the same way they're exercised today abortions there was infanticide in the justification and dismissal of it for sure we call it mullick worship but when it comes to scriptural evidence and reason for us to say i cannot side with any pro-choice legislation because it is knowingly encouraging the taking of a human life the reason we would come to this is because of these passages Uh, first of all when we go into the first trimester being identified as a life we have an example of that both in the Gospel of luke chapter 41 and 43 where of course mary being told when she was still within that first six-month period at the time that elizabeth was of course in the six-month period she was well jesus was at the time three months, and yet rightly so, Elizabeth identifies the child in her womb as who? Her Lord. Right. The mother. She hadn't given birth yet, so why would she be calling herself a mother? Well, that is an interesting observation, given the perspective the Bible lays out. Because note, when we're reading the Bible, we don't look for a list of rules saying, you shall not commit abortion, you shall not support legislation up to or limited to the second trimester, and so forth. We look for truth statements and ask ourselves, does this line up with my values? So if we have an example, both in Luke 1 and in Matthew 1, where the angel Gabriel tells him the child... Not the clump of cells that could potentially become a child, but the child that is in you will be called Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. These are the things that we would look at and say, that doesn't check out because at the Matthew point, that was before the four-week mark, and when we look at the Luke passage, that's still within first trimester range. So this is the arguments being made. Also note, we are told that these babies in Scripture are spiritually aware before they are born. In the same passage in Luke chapter 1 and verse 36 through 43, John the Baptist in the second trimester reacts to the presence of Jesus when he's also in the first trimester. That's interesting. We're told that they are not only spiritually aware before their birth, but that God was aware of them. In Jeremiah chapter one and verse five, he's identified not just as a living being, but someone with an occupation, a spiritual calling. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. We can go to Psalm 139, 13 through 16, where David (laughs) makes the observation of God knowing him in his unformed substance when he was still in his mother's womb. We can go to Isaiah 49, 1, where he makes the same observation as Jeremiah. We can go to Psalm 51 and verse 5, where David observes moral culpability for his sins when he's still in the womb. And we could also note, legally, if you want a list of rules, in Exodus 21, verses 22 through 23, so there's an ascending order there to the passages in the chapter, but a capital offense for taking a life if you cause a woman to miscarry through violence so the life of a unborn child is right. treated just as if you had taken the life of a born child right. or a grown child if in this case it was a fight between immature people mm. yeah but that's the point that we're making that's the christian perspective on abortion when we reconcile these passages with the propaganda that's leveled to us on a daily basis we have to choose sides we have to determine loyalties do I have more reason to trust god or people who are willing to or in hopefully most cases unwilling to look at the straight facts that we can both agree on christian or not and say this is a human being scientifically biologically observationally but i repeat myself so when it comes to this issue make sure that first of all you don't like our previous question take it personally when people are literally looking in the face of a human being and are willing to kill it because that's just the tribe that they're associated with. Lawlessness is abounding this day, we shouldn't be surprised. But if you come up to someone who is at least has a fraction of their soul left and is capable of looking at, say, a fetal development chart or you're willing to go through the stages of development. Don't just send them this video, actually look up and verify what we're talking about here. We're willing to be accountable for that and say, so at what time would you say humanity has entered, which is why I took special care to identify the details of the first trimester and noting that's when most people are willing to abort without consequence. Yet those are the very things where they say, as long as they don't feel pain. They can feel pain before you're even aware they're there. Yeah. Unless you're really paying attention, right, Adrian? Yeah. So the point being made is just that. What's the Christian perspective on abortion? Wikipedia has its opinions, but here are the facts. Everything that makes a human being a human being is at conception, not at an arbitrarily determined time by your local government.
1: And so a heads up to the folks at YouTube, if you want to flag us for not... Comprehensive enough on the subject of abortion, we're happy to (laughs) oblige.
0: Well, thank you, Sean, for that very, very thorough and uh, much-needed background. And uh, if you have any questions about something we may have shared that you're not quite sure on, then you know, leave another question. We'd be happy to follow up uh, in the days to come. Uh, Kimber wanted to know. Uh, death has no sting does that mean that we won't feel pain if we are persecuted and this was a follow-up from yesterday Uh, Kimber wanted to know that if if death has been defeated then does that mean that Christians won't experience pain in death no
2: in first Peter chapter 1 and verses uh, I know 17 is a part of it but that section of Scripture Peter describes persecution as a fiery trial through which you're suffering so Obviously, if death has been defeated at the time Peter had been saying that, and he makes the observation, it would be inaccurate. Well, let me read the passage you're referencing, Kim, and let's, I guess, put it in its proper place. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll start in verse 54. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death has been swallowed up in victory. That's quoting Hosea 13. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, the grave literally, where is your victory? Then it goes on to explain the sting of death is pain? No, No. it's sin. And the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So looking at verse 54, what do we see? The future expectation, when this has happened, when this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass. We're not there yet. And if you note for, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that's why Paul the Apostle is saying, and he repeats it in the other epistles as well, I'd rather depart and be with Christ. That's far better, but it's needful for you that I stay here. This life is pain, Highness, and whoever sells you differently is saying something. Name that reference. Selling something. something. (laughs) Uh, Name that reference. But the point being made is with this Old Testament quotation, what's the point? It's not that don't worry about it, you won't feel a thing, Uh, Christ's anesthesia will get you through any sort of uh, hardship or discomfort, you know, stoically as possible. You're not going to care. No, you should care. In fact, when Jesus was going through those beatings, the whole point was that he was going through that in order to be able to say, I know what you're going through, that we don't suffer alone, but the suffering is still there. Levi Lusco, in an observation specifically in the context of losing his daughter to an asthma attack, said, hurting with hope still hurts, Mm. and that's still true. But if we ask the question, is it without hope? That's the whole point. That's why it can be endured. So uh, just be careful with the handling, go one verse back, and note the future expectation when pain has passed away, all of Revelation 21 and verse 6.
1: Yeah, and uh, that is a passage that uh, we'll all inevitably share in a memorial service. Uh, There we read, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride uh, adorned for her husband. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are true and faithful. I guess maybe uh, getting down to the question beneath the question, you know, a lot of Christians will say, well, you know, uh, and I, I talk to them saying, well, you know, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I, I believe that, uh, that, you know, that that's a fact. Uh, my faith is solid, but there are still times where I'm afraid to die. Mm-hmm. Is, is that, does that mean I've got a defective <clears throat> faith? Well, you know, I don't think so anymore than uh, you might be afraid uh, the first time uh, you ride on an airplane or you might be afraid uh, the first time you uh, go on a scuba diving trip and uh, find yourself looking up at the surface 60 feet above you. You might experience fear at those times, but it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with your faith. All it means is you haven't gone through the experience in life we will all go through sooner or later, and that is death. Uh, You know, the Bible says that death is the last enemy, you know sometimes i think we uh, will try to soften it a bit or even uh, buy into these uh, you know lights at the end of the tunnel kind of visions to uh, try to comfort ourselves a bit but uh, the, the, the bottom line is is this when people say well i'm afraid to die you know uh, oftentimes what they're saying not so much saying is i'm not afraid of the moment of death i'm afraid of what's going to lead into it i'm afraid i'm going to suffer great pain along that way. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, I know uh, people uh, who are in heaven right now who, you know, just last weekend, a, a dear friend of ours uh, went for a walk with her husband. They sat down on a bench afterwards, put his head on his shoulder and had a massive heart attack and was gone in seconds. Wow! Gone. I, and yet I also know people who have bravely uh, fought the battle against uh, cancer as it uh, took over their bodies and uh, were in incredible pain for months and months and months. And uh, the the thing that I think that you find is, you know, first of all, we're told in Psalm 116 that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Mm -hmm. And just as we can trust God for the experiences of life we go through, which aren't all positive and sometimes are painful, but we have his promise, I will never leave you and never forsake you. And as you mentioned, Sean, uh, you know, the passage in Hebrews that says, we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but one who's been tested in all ways as we are, yet without sin, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. We might be able to receive grace and help in time of need. You know, in other words, God isn't going to go, ooh, man, they're getting ready to die, and they're in a lot of pain. I, that That's above my pay grade. Well, good luck with that, uh no the bible says that god will be with us in a very significant way doesn't mean all the pain's going to go away what passage was that you said what the one you just
0: quoted the passage uh
1: psalm 116 yeah Yeah. Uh, precious in the sight of the lord is the death of his saints it's an important part of life uh for god and his is shepherding role within our lives and like the good shepherd of the flock he's not going to leave you or forsake you Mm -hmm. when you need him the most so does that mean that uh, we're all guaranteed a painless transition uh, from this world? Like I say, you know, the more I go on and the more I've been with people at their deathbeds, it's not the moment of death that is frightening, it's what uh, sometimes leads up to it. Mm-hmm. And like anything else in life, God promised that he would be with us every step along the way. We are told no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may endure it doesn't say he's going to take it away but he does say he's going to provide the way of escape Mm. and uh, sometimes the way of escape means uh, perseverance it means patience it means uh, hanging in there and the, the, the beautiful thing about that is that there's nothing that will reveal say to an on looking unbelieving world the sincerity of someone's faith than seeing a believer in Jesus holding on to their faith, even in such circumstances. It's easy to be a sunshine soldier for Jesus. And I think that's why the the faith movement sells so well. Because we want to get out of pain. We want to get out of want. We want prosperity. We want the easy way. But if you're going to follow Jesus, he didn't take the easy way. Mm. And uh, we don't know why certain people sit down on park benches and check out. And that's it. Uh, We don't know why other people suffer for months and months and months and finally pass away. We won't have these answers. Mm. But we do know that because Jesus suffered, suffering is ennobled by Jesus. It is an exercise in a sense of being Christ-like in that set of circumstances. And and so just as uh, we discover when we come to know the Lord, there's no such thing as an unsacred part of our lives Mm. as far as God is concerned. Uh, there, there's no unsacred experience because God has made us born again through his spirit. He dwells within us. He goes with us through those things. Not, uh, well, I'll, uh, be in your heart, uh, right now, but boy, you know, oh man, that, that's looking painful. Excuse me. I'll be over here in the corner of the room when you're done. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people fall into that trap. So I guess I would say in response to all of that, um, sooner or later, Lord Terry's, we're all going to go through that nobody gets out of this life alive but understand no christian goes through the transition from this life to the next alone that's the most important thing that we can have and that's what jesus was getting at Mm -hmm. when he said let not your hearts be troubled you believe in god believe also in me my father's house are many mansions i go and prepare a place for you and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come again and receive you to myself that where i am there you may be also Mm -hmm. boy uh, i love that that first line don't let your heart be troubled you know, I've got this covered. God's got it. So, uh, you know, that's the most important thing. Uh, you know, we can't fold, spindle, emulate scriptures to somehow say, okay, uh, because, you know, death wears your sting, it might, it's not going to hurt us. That would be a really shocking thing to a guy like Isaiah who got sawed in two by Manasseh. Mm. I bet that was a painful experience. But we look at him, and now we see him in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Mm -hmm. Uh, So um, all I can say is this. Um, I've gone through some really painful experiences in my life. And sometimes uh, God's healed. Other times God hasn't taken away that particular pain. But the, the thing that I've discovered is this. As long as I know the Lord is there, you know, kind of like a child who's very upset or, you know, running a hu- high fever or something mm. like that. There's no greater source of comfort than knowing that that, that daddy is there mm. and he's not going anywhere. And that, I think, is is our hope in those circumstances.
0: Well, good question, Kim Byrne. I hope that helps. Uh, great question, great thought, the idea of this, if, if death has been defeated, would we experience the pain of death? But uh, apparently uh, that is an eternal... State. So, uh, thank you for the question. Uh, Peace be with you wants to know uh, <clears throat> help. I'm confused. God is not the author of confusion. Then, why does the Holy Spirit tell one person one thing and another person something totally different? Why are there so many uh, different interpretations and beliefs about the Bible and God? One person says tithe 10%, another person says no. In other words, why is there so much seemingly uh, contradiction or confusion within the people of God, especially those who claim that the Holy Spirit has been revealing things to them? Well, okay, first thing, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of questions yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> First, the God is not the author of confusion statement, that's First Corinthians chapter 14 where he's speaking in the context of God not inspiring all of these people to blurt out in tongues at the same time
1: that all things be done decently and in order was the point. So there so, is a, a place where someone claiming to operate in a spiritual gift like the leading of the Holy Spirit can be an author of confusion.
2: Which is the second Not point. Not God
1: but the person. The fact that
2: someone said God said it doesn't mean God said it. That's why 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19 says don't despise prophecies claiming to speak on behalf of God test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Mm. The fact someone said something doesn't add a page to our Bible. The fact that someone said God says this doesn't make that gospel. These need to be tested based on what God's already been said, or what already has said, and why, according to the same standard, that it was tested. The reason these books are in our Bible and others weren't was because of very strict standards, and ones we still need to uphold. The third problem is that if I'm going to handle this passage and this is an important aspect of testing interpretations say god's not the of confusion so why is he saying so many things that are confusing well you're making yourself the metric for confusion if i perceive something as confusing therefore it makes that not from god well that's about as reasonable as me saying i'm confused that by that statement that means that your statement's not from god it's totally uh, self-defeating So let's, again, note the author of confusion. It doesn't mean that things aren't confusing. It's that God isn't going to pursue and produce something that's going to lead to chaos and an inability to understand. Read the whole chapter if you want to know what God intended for spiritual gifts like tongues. That's what was being addressed. If you have a question about tithing, then you can test those teachers. They say it has to be 10% on the gross, not the net. Well, go to 2 Corinthians where it notes that God loves a cheerful giver. If you don't fit that description, then don't give. God doesn't need your money. But if you're gonna take a step back and go, well, there's so many different interpretations. No, there's a meaning by the author and there's people who miss it. There's the right and there's the wrong.
1: And there's a huge difference between interpretation an application, correct? In definition,
2: right. Yeah. So yeah. if we're going to ask the question, well, there's so many people of different views of eschatology, or the people who uh, have a different view of the end times false prophets, I disagree with them because of this point, this point, and that point, and hopefully you think through your positions enough to be able to defend them like that. Yeah. But when it comes to the negotiable, the non negotiable, the things that are made the much ado about nothing on the internet really are just that. If we ask the question, is Jesus God? Is God a trinity? Is the nature of salvation by grace through faith? And do we test these things and know these things through the authority of the Bible? Then the secondary issues can all be discussed in a peaceable and in a non-confusing manner. Right. And if we ask the question, so if there's any disagreement between anything ever, God's contradicting himself. Once again, you're assuming someone said it's from God, that makes it from God. People can lie, mm. but how do you test the truth? Like we talked about a few <clears throat> weeks ago, not based on the person or even necessarily their sources, it's what's actually said. And if they say something that conflicts with the plain statements of Scripture, this takes priority over them.
0: You were to listen to any number of disputes between individuals having arguments and so on. It's amazing how often when you actually get to the facts, the person says, well, I never said that. Oh, I thought I heard you say that. Well, that's kind of similar in this case. I'm sure that nine out of ten times God is sitting there thinking, I never said that. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. you're confused about nothing I ever did. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And, and, you know, the wonderful thing is this. If someone, and I just think it really, the point needs to be emphasized because it happens so often. If someone says, the Holy Spirit said to me. Okay. Is it possible, Sean, that the Holy Spirit still speaks individual words to people? Absolutely. Okay. But if the Holy Spirit is going to speak, is it logical to assume that he is never going to contradict himself since God doesn't make mistakes or change his mind? Going all the way back to the time of Moses, that's how we tested the New Testament. So when someone says, the Holy Spirit told me, and uh, then says something that doesn't line up with god's word we can know the word which the lord has not spoken <laughs> the big uh, issue mm. in deuteronomy chapter 18. i, I remember i was uh, doing uh, prison ministry uh, here in tucson and i went and visited a guy in a medium security prison part of the thing and and he just goes i just don't get it you know I, I just was following god's will and i ended up in prison and i was like you know you're like a political prisoner or something and i said what, what what happened and he said well you know i was praying and i didn't I, I was really in a bad place financially i was praying and i felt the lord leading me to rob a bank and then i got caught and i ended up in, i kid you not and i just looked at him and said what part of thou shall not steal did you not understand <laughs> um you know anybody can have an impulse or an impression but uh, we always have Mm. to test all things as first thessalonians chapter 5 Mm. verse 19 says and hold fast what is true Mm.
0: good stuff yeah well Yari wants to know and i think we can squeeze in these last two questions Uh, i'll give you a quick background i have a friend who's a singer because his mom told him the holy spirit this is a good follow-up by the way told him that the holy spirit told me that you will sing one day but he didn't want to he now just does what he is told now that he's an adult. What are your thoughts on this? His mom says that other people don't understand our relationship with each other, and God uh, has not allowed him to be on social media unless it's related to his mom's Pentecostal church. Is a person's parents uh, parents God's spokesperson? God can they speak. They can,
1: but... Or maybe not that is an example of an I'm abusive. Mean, i'm speaking f- as a parent here yeah, <laughs> yeah so. they can
2: but again you even need to test them and that is an example of an abusive relationship if you say that the child is an adult he either needs to really move out of that house quickly or contact the authorities because that is extremely manipulative and and is a form of emotional abuse if someone were to come to us in a counseling conversation we found out that was going on we'd call the police yeah
1: Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, to thus saith the Lord when it's your desires uh, Mm -hmm. rather than something that the Lord has actually said. I I wouldn't go so far as to say that this person is probably being intentionally malicious. I'm sure they're very sincere about what they think, but uh, doesn't line up with Scripture uh, and uh, usually ends up being doing a lot of damage.
0: Yeah. Mm. Wow. Well, thank you for that question, Yari, and I hope that's helpful to you. Uh, one last question here. Uh, well, I think we can get to this one. Um, quick question, Pastor Scott. Here's a fun question. What is y'all's favorite unsung or not famous biblical character?
1: You know, it, it's interesting. Uh, I think, uh, you know, for me, uh, you know, there's a, a real place, I think, for a guy that uh, has a name that's kind of hard to pronounce. His name is Anisimus. And Onesimus uh, was a runaway slave. Uh, he ended up, through a very interesting set of circumstances, uh, meeting the Apostle Paul in prison. And he came to know the Lord. And the thing I love about Onesimus is this. Uh, if you escaped slavery, uh, it was just a huge thing. We're told at the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Ephesian temple of the God of healing uh, that there were all of these uh, prayer requests that they found of the God of healing to take away the mark of a slave from their their forehead so that they could go and live in freedom. You know, it was that desperate. This Anisimus comes to know the Lord. He was a runaway slave, and so the Apostle Paul writes another guy that maybe you've heard of in passing Philemon, uh, and said, uh, Anisimus is coming back. Uh, he was uh, a guy who was birthed in my chains. So, uh, I think when we take a look at Anisimus and this, the fact that he put feet to his faith at a very early stage in his walk with God, mm. he's kind of one of my favorites. Hey, my thanks, kaya. thanks for <laughs>
0: joining us. We'll see you again tomorrow. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you.